Would you pray with me as we prepare to open up God's word together? God, we're thankful for this, your living word, Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we open the scriptures and we read from them, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us the message that you have for us, your church, for us, your people, this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt like there must be a better way? Have you ever just been going through life and, and all of a sudden taken a moment to say, wait a second, why are things like this? There must be a better way to do life. I imagine most of us have, especially in this last 18 months, there's been a lot of opportunity to reflect on why we do what we do and how do we find purpose in the way that we invest our time and energy and money and effort. And I imagine some of us, I know uh, there's just been a lot of opportunity (laughs) to do that as we've had our whole lives kind of switched around, our priorities uh, uh, examined. We've had We've had opportunity to examine the invitation from God that maybe, perhaps, there's a better way, a better way of being in the world. That's what we're going to look at today in Scripture. Perhaps there is a better way. If you found yourself exhausted, if you have found yourself at the end of your rope, if you have found yourself trying everything that you can to adapt to this new way of being in the world and it's not working, this message from Paul might be for you. And it comes at the end of a time in our church life when we have been going through a series on the new things that God is doing in our midst. And so for the last several weeks, we've looked at ways that God is inviting us to new things in in creation, in our life together, in our hearts, in in the relationship with Jesus that we have. And maybe throughout all of that, you've been just longing and, and anxious to see how do we actually live into that new thing? Well, then maybe this message from Paul today is for you as well. So we're going to take a look at a scripture from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And I believe that this will provide us with some, some practical applications for how we can live into a new way of being in Christ together as God's people. A new way of being and living in the world. So hear these words from the Apostle Paul, from Philippians, the letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi is, there's a church that's established there. It's in a very important city. It's in a city that connects the kind of the roadway from the east to the west. 
And Paul writes this letter to this church. It's the church that he had started kind of the, the furthest, the, the westernmost point of Paul's ministry into, into Europe, uh, what is today modern-day Europe. And it, so it was a very important city in the life of the church, in the early church. And Paul writes this letter from prison. And we hear a little bit about that in the, in the first part of, of Philippians. And in chapters 1 and 2, he talks about how he is in chains for the Lord. And the circumstances in which he writes this, he knows. Uh, he's probably in prison in Rome. We know he's in prison for sure. Probably in Rome. About to go uh, before uh, on trial to, to appeal. His, he's already been sentenced to death for his beliefs in Jesus and for his evangelism efforts to let everyone else know about Jesus. And those are the circumstances in which Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And, and we read also in chapter 1 that they also, the Christians in Philippi, have experienced something similar to what Paul has been going through in terms of the, the suffering that he has endured, in terms of the persecution that Paul has been a part of, that, that, that he's been uh, subjected to. And so they share that in common. Paul talks about that in the first chapter. And as we read and progress through the letter, we find ourselves here in chapter 4, kind of the, the conclusion. He starts to summarize things at the end of the letter here. And in light of all of those circumstances, persecution, suffering, even death, and, and imprisonment, Paul writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice How in the world? <laughs> what is there to rejoice? What is there? Another translation of that word rejoice might be celebrate. Celebrate in the Lord. N.T. Wright says that it's, it's, a, it's a communal, collective kind of celebration that Paul is calling the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. And that, that word always, it's not necessarily like all the time, like pray without ceasing. We, we hear Paul say in other uh, parts and other letters. Uh, but this, this always, rejoice in the Lord always, is about in all of your circumstances. So no matter what is facing you today, you can rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I remember several years ago, we had invited uh, Bishop Will Willimon to come and, and preach here. And it was during the season of Advent, and, and he was sitting on the front row, and I was sitting next to him. And we were, Advent is getting ready for Christmas, right? So we're leading up to Christmas. And, uh, and, and we were singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Remember that? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're singing that song together. And, and Will Willimon's not really singing anything, which I thought was interesting. I thought, well, maybe he's Maybe he's saving his voice for, for preaching, because I know what that's like. Sometimes I feel like I have to make sure I have enough to, <laughs> to talk through the sermon, uh, and so I wait. But then we're singing the, 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 the first part, the verse, and then we get to the, record, the chorus. And Will wasn't singing anything before then, but when we get to the part <laughs> that's the chorus, it's like a, a, something embodied his spirit and all of a sudden shouted out, Rejoice, rejoice. And I just about, like, I kind of jumped because I was like, whoa, whoa, man, where'd that come from? <laughs> but I'll always remember that. Because that's the way that Paul encourages us, right? No matter what your circumstances, we're singing about, uh, the season of Advent, is, it, it's dark, right? It's starting to get dark. We're noticing that now. It's getting dark sooner in the day. Uh, we, we spend the season of Advent longing for Jesus to come. 
to be born and to, and to be born again and to come back uh, and, and, and receive all of us and, and into heaven. And so but there's, this, there's this longing, there's this expectation, there's almost this sorrow and this sadness, this acknowledgement that the, not everything is okay in the world. And that's kind of what the verses are about. And then you get to the chorus and we sing, in spite of all of that stuff, rejoice! And I wonder what that would look like if we took on that attitude all year long. If we took that posture with us everywhere that we went, that no matter what is happening, and I just, and I just, can you, can you even imagine, right? You're, somebody comes to you and says, hey, uh, uh, somebody in your family, I, sorry, I uh, had a little accident and I wrecked the car. Rejoice! Uh, I, yeah, I uh, did something I probably shouldn't have done and I lost my job. Rejoice! Right? What would that look like? I, oh, Mom, uh, the hamster died. Well, buddy, buck up and rejoice! No, I don't know. That's, that's silly. But I, but I do wonder, though, what it would look like to rejoice in all circumstances, knowing that God is there with us in it. And that because of Jesus' work on the cross, we know that that's not the end of whatever that circumstance is that is before us. We can rejoice. And that's what Paul encourages us to do. Even from sitting in a jail cell, knowing that he is about to die. He is rejoicing in the Lord always. And he says it again, rejoice. Verse five, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And as I was reading over the scripture this week, and as I was praying and spending time about how to, how to talk about this passage, that word gentleness just wouldn't let go of me. <laughs> let your gentleness be evident to all. What does that even mean? Let your gentleness be evident to all. I was drawn to that all week long. It, it, see, it's, it, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a way of being in the world. It's an invitation from Paul. And when we think gentleness, I think we tend to associate gentleness with weakness. At least I do. But I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. In fact, if you, if you look into the etymology of the word, it, it, it's more about forbearance and graciousness. Let your, let your graciousness be evident to all. One, one uh, Bible scholar puts it this way. It's about a sweet reasonableness. A sweet reasonableness. Couldn't we stand some sweet reasonableness in our world today? What would it be like if Christians were known for being sweetly reasonable? Man, I might say rejoice <laughs> as a pastor, right? May God, would we please be known for our sweet reasonableness? One of the scholars that I was reading this week said this, and I'm going to just quote it exactly because he says it better than me. He says, Aristotle contrasted that, that word uh, gentleness, that, that, the word behind gentleness. Aristotle contrasted that with strict justice. So it's, it's a generous treatment of others that, while demanding equity, does not insist on the letter of the law. Willing to admit limitations, it is prepared to make allowances so that justice does not injure. 
It is a quality, therefore, that keeps one from insisting on one's full rights or for making a rigorous and obstinate stand for what is justly due to one. Wow, would that we would be known for that kind of sweet reasonableness, that even though we might be within our rights to demand something, we might be reasonable and gracious and kind with one another, even if we are being treated in a way that doesn't reciprocate that reasonableness. Hmm. What would it look like for, for followers of Jesus in today's political and social divided climate for, for us to just be known for being sweetly reasonable? Some of you had an opportunity this week on Tuesday to gather and tell stories about the history of our church together. And if you were not at the, at the storytelling event on Tuesday, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go out. You can go out to YouTube and Google Boone UMC Storytelling. And that event, we live streamed it, and so it's out there forever. You can go back and watch it this week. It was an hour and a half long of just telling the story of our church, the history of our life together as Christians in this place. Over the 155 years of our history together, I really invite you to go back and, and check that out. Uh, we, we heard about some of the saints of our church, like, like Tom Cottingham and, and, and Bobby Sharp and Ruth Petrie. And those of you who've been around for a while know their stories, but I invite you to go watch the video to learn more about how they have led us and inspired us in their wisdom and in their, uh, in their service for Jesus in this place. But then Jim Deal talked uh, about what it was like to be, uh, to be sweetly reasonable <laughs> together. He talked about a men's Bible study that met for years and years and years, early in the morning, uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning. Guys would get together, and they were people who would gather from, from all different uh, parts of the political spectrum. And yet, they were gracious with one another. They were kind to one another, even when they disagreed they accepted one another as brothers in Christ and realized, hey, we definitely don't see eye to eye on this. In fact, we're completely opposite on how we think we should go forward about this. But hey, Jesus brings us together. And in Christ, we are brothers and we are unified. Friends, we have a history of that in our church. I want to remind us of that this morning because, man, that's easy to forget, isn't it? Especially when so many things out there that we hear are are almost designed to pit us against one another and to fight. We are designed, we are called, we are invited by God to be sweetly reasonable with one another. And this church has a history of doing that with one another. And so I invite us to consider that history and live into it as Paul invites us to today. And then he says this, the Lord is near Sometimes some of these thoughts are, are, seem like kind of like, uh, how does he get from this to the, next, to, to the next thing? But he says this in the same sense. After he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, verse 5, the Lord is near. And that could, mean, uh, that could mean a couple of things. It's a little bit ambiguous. What does it mean to Paul says the Lord is near? Well, it could be a reminder. Be reasonable because the Lord is in you. This text here from Philippians chapter 4 in, the, in the, the cycle of the lectionary readings for the year typically falls right around this time. In fact, I think it's scheduled for next weekend. 
And it's an interesting time in the church here because we're coming to the end of a long season after Pentecost, right, where we celebrate the, the birth of the church through the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us. Christ is near because of the Spirit's presence in us. And yet we're also about to enter into Advent, that season just before Christmas where we are longing for Jesus to be near again and to come back and to make all things new. That's where this text falls in, in the cycle of readings for the church. And, and so there's, it's almost like it acknowledges that, that double meaning of the Lord is near, both in our hearts and as we long for Christ to come back and make all things new. So be reasonable. Be gracious to one another. This is a season, but there is another season coming. So be reasonable when people upset you. Be reasonable when you are angry, when you are frustrated with the way of the world. Be reasonable with others that others might see it and say, what's the deal with them? Why are they so sweetly reasonable? Even if it's within your rights to be otherwise, be reasonable and gracious because the Lord is near. He goes on in verse six to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. He's saying literally, what he's saying there is stop worrying. Stop worrying. That is so much easier said than done, isn't it? Has anybody ever told you, just stop worrying? Is that helpful? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, not for me. <laughs> stop. Oh, okay, I'll just stop worrying. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and do that real quick. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do. But we hear in, in a very practical way Paul's solution to not being anxious about anything is to be prayerful about everything. If you don't want to be anxious about anything, be prayerful about everything. And again, that's not to, when we say don't worry, it's not to to discount the real trouble that we face and experience in the world. It's it's not to let us off the hook about caring for other people because, hey, it says don't worry. No, no, no. (laughs) The the spirit of this, this encouragement is that we don't worry because we know something greater than this trouble is in the world, and that's Jesus. Remember, Paul is writing this to a community who is under persecution. He's writing it himself from prison, knowing he's about to die. And yet, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Friends, gratitude is a wonderful antidote to worry. Have you ever noticed that if you are trying to, to be actively grateful, if you're just taking a, spa- taking, a, taking a minute to sit and think about the many things that you have in your life to be grateful for, as you think about those things, at least for me, as I am, am, am actively being grateful, thinking about things I can be thankful for, it's a lot harder to hold all of those other negative things that make me anxious. It's hard to be angry and thankful at the same time. 
It's hard to be bitter or frustrated or even sad when we are grateful for the things that God has given us. And it's not to say that that anger and that sadness and that bitterness, it's not to say that those, the circumstances that created those aren't valid. They are. But even in the midst of that, if we can just take a moment, as Paul urges us, to don't worry. Don't be anxious. But with thanksgiving, present those requests to God. So it's, it's, it's almost like we're saying, God, I have all of this stuff and you see it and it's real. And I am thankful that I can just give it to you because I know that you in Christ, Lord, are bigger than any of the stuff that's making me fearful or anxious. And when we do that, verse 7 says, when we are able to present to God with thanksgiving and gratefulness in our hearts, what will happen is, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That's the only time that phrase appears in the New Testament. The peace of God. Uh, Bart said that it's, it, Carl Bart, a great theologian, said that it's, it's like the characteristic of of God. It's, it's one of God's characteristics. By nature, God is peace. And, and peace, as we read in the, in the Old Testament, is, a, is a, an understanding of everything in the world is as it should be. Shalom is how we hear it expressed sometimes. It's, it's a sense that you, everyone has what they need. It's a sense that all needs are met and, and everything is provided for. And there's not only provided for, but provided for abundantly. That's what the peace of God looks like. When we present our requests to God, even in our anxiety and our fear and our frustration, God receives them and and when we present them with thanksgiving, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that transcends all understanding is what uh, this translation says. Uh, Another scholar translated the the, the peace that excels all human planning. And the way that, that he explained it, the peace which excels all human planning is this. God's peace is able to produce exceedingly better results than our human planning. It is far superior to any person's schemes for security. It's more effective for removing anxiety than any intellectual effort or power of our own reasoning. That's what it means that, that, that God's peace, the peace of God, passes all understanding. It's bigger than we can imagine. It's something we can't explain. And I know that some of you have experienced that at different times in your lives. For me, the most poignant moment that I experienced that was, was here at the church. It was uh, in, in February of 2020, before the pandemic started. Um, I was here on a day when, uh, the, <laughs> in the middle, it was just a normal day, and then all of a sudden things went crazy. Uh, we had a carbon monoxide alarm go off in the preschool wing, and so there are kids there, and we had to have them evacuated outside, and the alarms are blaring and buzzing, and the fire trucks come and, and try to figure out what's going on, and we're just kind of, we're, we're Everybody's calm, everybody's okay, but we're trying to figure out what's happening and how to get things under control. And I noticed my dad had, had called, and I, I, of course, in the middle of that, didn't have time to take that call, trying to make sure everybody is where they need to be. The fire department knows where the problem is, all that stuff. 
Then my dad called again, and, and I let it go to voicemail. He called a third time. I thought, well, I better get this. And I was standing right out on the sidewalk out there, and, and I went outside to take the call. And, uh, and my dad told me, um, he said, oh, Jeff, uh, mom is gone. My mom had died in her sleep. She was perfectly healthy. There was no reason to believe that that would have happened. We had no, I had talked to her the night before. We had FaceTimed for like a half an hour uh, with my kids. We, had, we had, had had a great conversation with her. Everything was normal. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. And in that moment, as I'm with my dad and the paramedics are at the house and they're trying to revive her, and he, he knew that she had passed. And um, in that moment of extreme anguish, and grief and anxiety, I felt something in my soul that I couldn't explain. And it was that peace that Paul talks about, that peace that passes all understanding. There was nothing that I could do to reason myself into a place of being okay with my mom suddenly being gone. And yet, God's presence was there, reassuring me that, as Julian of Norwich said, all will be well. Man, it wasn't in that moment. (laughs) But yet, alongside that tension, that anxiety, that stress, that heaviness, that deep, deep sadness and grief, there was this peace that I can't explain. That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's the peace that God offers us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that that peace would be with us even when things don't make sense, even when the world is falling apart, even when everything is not the way that it should be in the world, when we're far from shalom. We as Christians, and because of Christ's work on the cross, have the ability to be at peace knowing that whatever that is in front of us is not the end of the story. That's where our peace comes from that passes all understanding. Paul says that when we are in Christ, that peace of God will guard our hearts. And that phrase guard is, is like, it's reminiscent of a, a garrison of troops standing guard over our hearts so that we might experience a nearness and a connectedness to God, an assurance that God is with us, like a, like a, like a legion of soldiers. And that would have meant something to the people of Philippi because they lived in a city that was occupied by Rome. And so they constantly, as they were walking around living their daily lives, they saw soldiers keeping guard over the city. That's the image that Paul leaves with them. Hey, you see these soldiers? Remember that God also guards your hearts. God also stands with you and for you to provide you with peace that transcends any of the chaos of your life, any of the the difficulty, the grief, the sadness, the incompleteness, whatever it is. There is a legion of soldiers guarding your heart with God's peace. Because of Jesus and his work on the cross. And so friends, I just want to remind you this morning as we, as we wrap up, there is, if you've ever asked the question, is there a different way 
to be in the world. Spend some time in Philippians chapter 4 this week. Paul goes on to, to talk about another way to, to, to realize that peace and, and live into it uh, and to not, <laughs> to, to not fear. Uh, but there is a different way of being in the world. It is in Christ. That's how we are in the world. And it's a way of expecting a new thing but, but not being impatient about it. Expecting a new thing but not being resistant to change. Expecting that we can rejoice in every circumstance. Knowing the work of Jesus is for us and for the whole world. It's a way of being gentle in the world and gracious and, and, and sweetly reasonable <laughs> with one another. Because we know that the Lord is near, both in our hearts and near to coming back and restoring all things and making all things new. It's a way to, of being in the world that we are not anxious for anything, but, but prayerful in everything with thanksgiving in our hearts. And, and when we do that, when we practice being thankful, we are guarded by God's peace. Friends, I pray that you will know that way of being in the world this week and always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.